Missed you last Sunday. Uh, Melly and I were off doing some family things. We had a nephew get married up in Minnesota, or it felt like Minnesota, it was Illinois, and we got in the middle of a snowstorm up there. The day of the wedding, <clears throat> the wedding was 40 miles away from my parents' home, and there were cars in the ditch all along the way. They had to start the wedding a half hour late. It was a winter wonderland, a wedding to be remembered for sure. Started it late, but everything was great. Uh, and then we went to Branson, Missouri to be with my daughter, Christiana, for Thanksgiving. And I understand you guys had a fantastic Sunday back here, huh? Outstanding, yeah, yeah. Can you turn those down just a little bit? I'm going to get a suntan, if they, you know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's good, that's good. Yeah, just, just a little bit down, that's good. Lauren, you do a great job back there every week, and all those that you that do that, and Ryan Cox every week on the sound, not an easy job, but I think we need to <laughs> thank those guys for what they do. We're going to begin our, our new series this, this morning, the Christmas series. If all we had were the Christmas carols. There's an elderly African-American senior citizen woman who lives in East Knoxville and spends the majority of her day sitting on her porch. Her name is Maggie. She sits there with a blank stare. She was a picture of health until two years ago, and her sister came down for a visit and died suddenly in Margie's presence. Called her Maggie. It's Margie, I'm sorry. Immediately she started declining, and her memory began to leave her, And she probably suffers from what seems to be the new diagnosis of our age. Failure to thrive. As Christmas approaches this year, memories only bring sadness as she pushes them back as best she can. Saeed Abedini this morning sits in an Iranian prison. He's an American-born Iranian who was arrested for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ back in 2012. He routinely undergoes torture. His wife reports that he is frequently tasered and abused, and then he is offered his freedom if he will recant his faith and return to his Muslim roots. He has no access to his beloved Bible, but the Christmas carols in his mind, are not erasable. Several years ago, a college freshman named Seth had a crisis of faith his freshman year. Having been raised in a Christian home and sheltered from much of the vice of the culture, the state university was quite a shock. No curfew, no parents to hound him, and professors daily poking holes in his allegiance to the Bible as the inspired word of God. As Christmas approached, the story of God coming down and being born in a manger seemed more like a myth than a miracle to Seth. And the carols sort of ran together with all the songs about Santa. I share these true scenarios because it occurs to me that Christmas never comes in a vacuum. Christmas comes to real people in whatever state they find themselves in this year. And the carol that I'm going to deal with this particular morning is probably 
one of the most favorite, which is joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king, let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 98, and if not, it should be up on the screen. This hymn was taken or inspired by Psalm 98. Isaac Watts, the great hymn writer, took this psalm and related it uh, to, uh, to the song that he wrote. And the psalm goes like this, Shout to joy, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound in everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy, and let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So I mentioned already that this, song, this uh, Christmas carol was written by Isaac Watts, who's considered to be the father of English hymnody. And so based on this psalm, he, he pens these words, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. And then he writes, No more let sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And finally, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. Just a little bit, a note about the, this song and the time period in which it was written. Isaac Watts was, uh, came, came into, uh, he grew up in a time when the Psalms were the only things allowed to be sung at church. So you had to sing the Psalms and, and he thought that so many of the psalms were awkwardly rhymed. And, and he complained to one of the deacons of the church one Sunday, why do we have such horrible music that we have to sing every Sunday? And the, the deacon said, well, why don't you do something about it, young man? And the next Sunday he came back with his first hymn, and he ended up writing over 700 hymns. Now the tune to Joy the, to the World we think is, is, is inspired by Frederick Handel, who wrote Handel's Messiah. How many of you are familiar with Handel's Messiah? It, it's, a, it's a great piece of work. And if you know anything about the song, there's a, about the, uh, the, the Messiah, there's a song that's called Comfort Ye My People. And, and the introduction to the song, Comfort Ye My People, the tune goes like this. Dun, 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 da, da, da. Well, this is the very tune that, that, that became, And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing. And another tune that he wrote in the Messiah was called Glory to God, which went, Glory to God, glory to God. It's the same tune, Joy to the world. And so many people attribute the, the uh, hymn, the actual music of the song, that it was inspired by Handel's Messiah. But I want you to think about the words joy to the world with the background to which the, that hymn comes to us today. 
This Christmas, Paris will sing joy to the world in a city where the death toll has now reached 130 from terrorist attack. At first blush, the carol almost seems inappropriate. Where's the joy for Margie who sits on her porch? Where's the joy for Saeed as he sits in an Iranian prison? Where's the joy for Seth, whose faith is down to a flicker? It should make us ask the question, shouldn't it? What is joy? What is joy? Because I think all the time people confuse joy with happiness. But, but happiness and joy are not the same. In fact, the Bible refers to happiness about 30 times, and it refers to joy over 300 times. The the importance of joy in the Scripture far succeeds happiness, because the truth is, Maggie's not happy that her, or Margie's not happy that her sister is gone. Saeed is not happy to be away from his family this Christmas in the Iranian prison, and Seth is not happy with the emptiness he now feels. Happiness is based on circumstance. In fact, happiness comes from the term happenstance. You know, if things are going well, we're happy. But joy in Scripture has to do with something else. It has to do with the expectation of something great or the acquisition of something great. Advent is the season that we are reminded that things are not always going to be as they are right now. It's a time to remember that that whatever particular circumstance or happenstance that you happen to be in at this very moment, that there is joy to the world. Now, Kay Warren. Kay Warren is the wife of Rick Warren. And if all you know about Rick Warren is that he pastors uh, the great church out in California and he wrote The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church, then you don't really know a person because all you'll think is success. But what you need to know is Rick Warren's son a couple of years ago committed suicide and uh, had battled depression all of his life. And, and, and the couple was devastated. And his wife wrote a book about joy. And she defines joy. She said, based on her study of Scripture, here's how she defines joy. And I put the definition up here. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Isn't that an interesting definition of joy? The settled assurance that God is in control and that ultimately everything's going to be all right. She goes on to write these words. We tend to think that life comes in hills and valleys. In reality, it's much more like train tracks. Every day of your life, wonderful, good things that bring pleasure and contentment and and beauty come to you. At the exact same time, painful things happen to you or those that you love and, and disappoint you and hurt you and fill you with sorrow. These two tracks, both joy and sorrow, run parallel to each other every single moment of your life. That's why when you're in the midst of an amazing experience, you have a nagging realization that it's not perfect. And while you're experiencing something painful, there's the glorious realization that there's still beauty and loveliness to be found. They're inseparable, but she says, if you look down the train tracks into the brightness of the horizon, 
The tracks become one, and you can't distinguish them as two separate tracks. That's how it will be for us to one day our parallel tracks of joy and sorrow will merge into one the day we meet Jesus Christ and see the brightness of who he is. It will all come together for us, then it will make complete sense. And Advent is about this joy that has come to the world. What if this is the song that we had to sing if we didn't have our scriptures this morning? At Saeed Abedin, Abedini in, uh, in Iran has no scripture this morning. And he just has this, this song that's in his heart and in his head that he heard growing up as, a, as an Iranian-American. If all he had this so- was this song, he would still have the understanding... Of the threefold advent or coming of Christ. The threefold advent of Christ. Because advent really comes in three waves. And and advent simply means, Melanie talked about it this morning, coming. It means coming. We're expecting something. Something's coming. And so when we, 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 we talk about the season of advent, we're talking about Jesus coming. And And if all we had was this song... We, we would understand that, 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 um, that, that there is a threefold coming of Jesus. The, the first coming of Jesus is attributed to the song. Now, I have to be honest with you about Isaac Watts writing this song. He did not write this as a Christmas song. There are no shepherds and wise men in this song. There's no, um, there's no stars in the sky and all of that, that that you see in so many of the Christmas carols. He didn't write this as, as a Christmas song. However, almost as soon as it was written, people began singing it during the season of Advent because the song so well applies to the coming, the first coming of Jesus. Because the first coming of Jesus is that Jesus came as our Savior. If you're taking notes this morning in your bulletin, this is the first one. He came as our Savior to be with us. Jesus' first coming brought joy. Just the announcement of Jesus' birth called Elizabeth's baby to leap inside of her womb. John the Baptist, the Bible says, was filled with the Holy Spirit just hearing that Jesus was coming. That this Savior was born that was going to be with us. That that Emmanuel, God, would come to be with us. The theological word we use for that is the incarnation. That God himself came and lived among us. When the shepherds hear the announcement, they're told, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, that's right, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born, unto you is born this day. Unto you, lowly shepherds, unto you, those who've been disenfranchised, to all the peoples of the earth. Not just to the Jews, but to all people. Good news of great joy to all people, people of all color, all stripe, all genders. Joy to the world, for the Lord is come. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And, and, when you, and you, when you play out the entire story of Jesus and he comes and he dies and he raises from the dead and he ascends in Luke 24, 54, it says the disciples worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy because Jesus had come. 
In Matthew chapter 10, verse uh, 2, verse 10, it talks about the magi, the, the wise men, who were overjoyed upon finding the infant Jesus. This is the message of the first coming of Jesus. That history was pointing to this event. That God would do for us what we could not do for ourselves. The law could, what the law could not do. God did in Jesus. Coming and not only telling us how to live, but paying the price for our sins. And living for us and dying for us and rising again. And so that's the first coming of Jesus. And so when, when people sang this song, the first words, joy to the world, the Lord is come. It spoke to them of the first advent of Jesus. But the true meaning of this song that, 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 that Isaac Watts wrote, and by the way, I just want to say, that comforts me to know that, that Saeed Abedini, this Christmas, can have this song in his heart. And he can think about the hope that he has and the joy in spite of what he's going through in prison. That things are not always going to be this way. That there is something settled inside of him. Because of Jesus coming, things are not always going to be as they were. But the second thing is that the second advent of Jesus. You know, people have been talking about um, one of the presidential candidates, uh, Ben Carson, is a Seventh-day Adventist. What does that mean, Adventist? An Adventist means one who is waiting for the second coming of Christ. So, so in a sense, we're all Adventists as well. Not Seventh-day Adventists, but we are, we are Adventists in, in, in the sense that and we need to hear this, by the way, in 2015. We need to hear that, that, that there's still one great historic event that is yet to come. And that is Jesus is going to pierce the eastern sky and he's going to come again. Amen. And that is what, and that is what Isaac Watts wrote this song about. And the second advent of Jesus is this, if you're taking notes. Jesus will come as the judge to make things right. Now, now I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know what you hear when you hear the word judge. You hear the word judgmental. You hear the word, uh, you know, fire and brimstone. You hear all of those kinds of things. But, but could I give you another understanding of the word judge? Think, think about the, 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 the phrase we use in America, liberty and justice for all. That, that, that when the judge comes, he's going to, he's going to, those who have been abused and, and those who have not gotten their justice and those who things have not been right and the world has not been fair to, suddenly it's going to be fair because the judge is going to come and he's going to make things right. And so, and so this morning, Saeed Abedini is not getting justice this morning, but, 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 but be encouraged today because whether, whether you're in a situation right now where justice has not come to you because of the color of your skin, because of, because of uh, some kind of upbringing, because of some situation in your life, because of some poverty that you cannot break out of that, that, that seems to be a curse on your family, let me just let you know that the judge is coming to make things right amen. amen amen the last great event in history is still yet to come and it's not going 
to be a nuclear bomb. I know a lot of times when we hear about end time stuff, we think about doomsday scenarios and we think all about those things. But when the Bible talks about the second coming, it does so with great joy. First Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Philippians 3.20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Titus 2, 12 and 13 says that, that it teaches us, to, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord, uh, of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem. Hey, wouldn't it be a shift, Christians, if instead of hearing the news and us getting all doom and gloom about things, what if instead of getting all doom and gloom, that we lifted up our heads and we said, that's just one more sign, Jesus is coming again. And that is our blessed hope. Amen. First Peter 14, But rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. In Revelations 22, 12 and 13, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give everyone according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And I just wanted to read this for you, Abedin, uh, Saeed Abedini, this morning. God is just... In, in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. That will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. And so this morning I have a message for ISIS and El Shabaab. And all of those who tried to exact terror upon this world this morning, the terrorists will not have the final word, but that God will have the final word. And that Jesus is coming again, the judge of all the earth. The world ends in joy. Listen to the way that the message finishes Psalm 98. A tribute to God when He comes, when He comes to set the earth right. He'll straighten out the whole world. He'll put the world right and everyone in it. So that's the first coming and the second coming. Well then what is the third coming? The third coming. Of, we, don't, we, we often hear about the first coming of Jesus and the third coming the first coming of Jesus is about what he did. The second coming about, of Jesus is about what he is going to do. But it's very, very important that we understand the, the, the third coming because without the third coming, the first coming and the, and, and the second coming are irrelevant. The third coming is, the, is about right now. Because right now, Jesus comes now in love to dwell in us. And if all you had was the song Joy to the World, it even speaks of that in this song when it says, Let every heart prepare him room. 
and heaven and nature sing. Isaac Watts understood that Advent was not just past and it was not just future, but it's very, very importantly about now. And when Jesus comes to you now, it brings joy. 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not not see him now you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy does that mean that christians are always happy no it doesn't mean that we're always happy but it means that we have something settled inside of us this settledness inside of us and we know that things are not always going to be that the way that they are now we're filled with hope and we're filled with expectation because we've had the third coming of Jesus. Luke chapter 15 is the great chapter about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. In each of those stories, it says that when they found that which was lost, there was great joy. And, and what the scripture says at the end of each of those three stories is that, is that just like that woman is excited about finding her coin, even the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance. For, for, the, for the lost sheep, the, the angels in heaven rejoice. And the lost son, the father, kills the fatted calf and he throws a party for his son because he says, my son was lost and now he is found. When we began this message today, we left Maggie on, or Margie on the porch. Margie's a real lady in Knoxville. She's my daughter, Natalie's neighbor. She sits on her porch every day, and the other day, Natalie heard her crying for help. She had fallen on the porch and couldn't get up. Nothing really wrong with her physically, just didn't have the strength. So Natalie helped her up and her care, called her caretaker, and her caretaker said, ever since her sister died, she's failed almost immediately. And so the word of the Lord to Maggie today is, Maggie, Jesus invites you to that settled assurance that though your sister is gone, though that loved ones on earth, when all of them fade away, we still have hope in this world because Jesus came as our Savior to be with us. And he says to you, Maggie, and to you, who are sitting here in the sound of my voice, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And to Saeed, Abedini, I have no sermon for you, my brother, because you are preaching to me from your jail cell. His family had hopes that after America made a deal with Iran, that maybe they would let him go, but instead they have tortured him all the more. And they have abused him in recent days. I just want to say to you, my friend, who has not seen his children since 2012, the judge is coming. Jesus is coming again, Saeed Abedini. And he's going to set things right. And it may seem like you're on the wrong side of justice right now, and you are on the wrong side of justice. But because of Advent, because that Jesus is coming again, we can have hope. And for that reason, Saeed does not give up on his Christian faith, even though that would be the easy thing to do now, because he has a deep settledness inside of him, and he has that hope. 
And finally, Seth. Seth, who was disillusioned on that Christmas season. Seth's story happened several years back. And so I know what happened to him on that Christmas. Seth came home from Christmas after being away at the State University to his highly experientially religious family. And he went through the motions of Christmas, but the Christmas carols all sounded hollow to him. But that Christmas he decided to do something strange. He decided on Christmas Eve to go to Mass at the local Catholic church. Half of it was out of curiosity, and frankly, half of it was out of rebellion because his family was about as far as you could be away from Catholic. And so nothing like going to Catholic Mass to take the family off. He had the impression that the service would be quite dull compared to his experiential church, but he went and found a seat toward the back. All of their rituals were foreign to him. He didn't know when to kneel, or when to repeat certain phrases. But he was struck by the beauty and the majesty of the service. Choirs in the balcony were foreign to his style of church, but he sort of liked it. And then came the sermon, which they called the homily. This is when he expected to be most bored. The priest got up, however, and gave his sermon for about 15 minutes. But those 15 minutes were life-changing for Seth. The title of the sermon was From a Rough-Hewn Manger to a Rough-Hewn Cross. Nothing earth-shattering about the sermon, nothing that Seth hadn't heard before. But Eulen, it reminds me of how you heard the gospel for the first time in Portuguese because you could no longer hear it in English because it had grown dull to your ears. Seth, by hearing it from a Catholic priest and just hearing the proclamation of this Jesus who was born in a rough-hewn manger and a rough-hewn cross and everything in between was rough, was earth-shattering to Seth. And Seth's heart was strangely warmed, and he walked out of the Mass a different young man than he came in as the pipe organ played, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Seth transferred colleges and studied for the ministry and became a pastor with a mission to proclaim the story of Jesus to others like him. And the reason I know Seth's story is because I am Seth. I changed his name so that you would hear the story afresh. That was a life-changing Christmas for me. As I left that Christmas service, filled, filled, filled. The empty space inside of me, filled. Because Jesus not only came then, he's not only coming again, but he comes to us now. Shall we pray? I've struggled this year with 
the whole Christmas spirit thing with the news going on about Paris and just the last couple days, uh, Planned Parenthood Clinic, three people shot, including an officer and, and Molly, another terrorist attack. And yet Christmas comes and hope comes and Jesus comes. We are reminded at Christmas that he came as our Savior to be with us. So wherever you may be this morning, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Emmanuel, Jesus is with you.